This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. I am Jason Ratliff. I'm here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Later, we will be joined by the D-backs 2022 number two overall draft pick, Drew Jones. Jonathan had a chance to sit down and talk to Drew out in Arizona, where he is covering some spring training camps for us. He's coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. Jim, from his usual spot, I assume. Suburban Chicago, is that? That is correct. That's fair to say. I am, I am here. I, I, you never know I could be elsewhere and just not telling you. <laughs> All right. Well, we have some top 30 lists to talk about. The 2023 team top 30 prospect lists are here. Depending on when you're listening to this, some of them are here or they're all here. They're coming out this week. As of now, the East divisions are out, NL East, AL East. Uh, We're working our way through division by division. Uh, We'll come back after the World Baseball Classic and we will rank the farm systems, all of them, all 30. Uh, But for now, we're putting out the top 30 prospect list. A little later on, we are going to hone in on some of the best pure hitting prospects in baseball. We uh, have a story up on MLB.com slash pipeline where we identify the best pure hitting prospect for each team. And uh, we're going to answer a question from the mailbag to wrap things up. Let's get into top 30s. You guys have been working on these things for months. Uh, We're starting to see the fruits of your labor. We started with the NL East on day one, and then we put out the AL East, which means we have a few of the biggest teams in terms of market size, fan base, the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox. We have some of the best, and the, you know the Orioles have been one of, if not the best farm system in baseball over the past couple years now. Uh, so I know we, we talked about doing this, and then I don't know whether we settled on doing it or not, but I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Let's rank quickly. Quickly rank. <laughs> no, the... we're not prepared for this. <laughs> That's right. I, I said we were going to do it on do the it. fly. Let's go. But, but you can't rank farm systems on the fly. This is going to be rank terrible. them on the fly. You sure can. <laughs> I, I, I'm going on record as saying this will be the worst segment of our podcast for all of 2023. Absolutely not. This is terrible. We're going to go back and rank them and turn that into a story. <laughs> uh, all right. So number one, clearly the Orioles. Or, yes. Easy. Look at Jim jumping in. He's like, let me get the easy one. Well, I'm not saying, I mean, that we're going to agree on. I mean, we'll go ahead and, I mean, I'll go ahead. We haven't determined anything yet, but I will be shocked, Jonathan. Will you be shocked if the Orioles are not our number one overall farm system in the entire game when we do farm system rankings, which to be clear, we've not done. I want want to be shocked just to disagree with you, but no. Um, Sam's really down on the Orioles, so. (laughs) He's going to weigh us down. No, I think, you know, listen, the, the Orioles combination of still elite level talent, you know, and depth in their system has them think head and shoulders above anybody else in baseball right now. You know, it's amazing, too, that they had Adley Rutschman, who they graduated, and they're still number one. I mean, they have the best prospect in baseball in Gunnar Henderson. They have arguably the best pitching prospect. You can make a case for Grayson Rodriguez. I've said on this podcast, I feel like every week, the Jackson Holiday is probably going to be the number one prospect on the top 100 a year from now. They've got eight top 100 prospects, which is more than anybody else. They've got depth beyond that. So yeah, they yeah. They, they, they really stand out. So that's that's the easy part of this segment is, is right now we've, we've gotten that uh, available. I have no idea who number two is, but I will come up with an answer. Really? No idea? I, I haven't thought about it, no. I mean, I know there's <laughs> well, a bunch there are of only people. 10. <laughs> Yeah, but you have to put them in order. It's not like I, I think I, you know. I'm just going to lay out, and I'm going to let Jim pick number two because he's objecting so strenuously. I will go with, with with little thought put into this. I will go with the Rays. The Rays at number two, um, the yeah. four top 100 prospects: Taj Bradley, Curtis Mead, Carson Williams, Kyle Manzardo. They always have sneaky depth. You know, they probably have 
some guy on here who's ranked 28th who's going to hit like the game-winning home run in the ALCS this year or something. Um, <laughs> they're going to go make trades and pick people's pockets. Uh, they're going to make some surprising draft picks, and guys are going to turn into to good prospects. So they, they just never yep. stop, and, and they really can't. So I, I will say the Rays at number two. I think that's a, I think that's a safe bet without you know with without d- digging in um and then i think the nationals who are the most improved uh, i think we agree on in in among the east divisions uh because of some of the the trades and step forward but i i think i put the nationals three four top 100 guys three of them in the top 50 obviously getting uh james wood robert hassel uh you know via via trade uh, Elijah Green from last year's drafts. Cade Cavalli is our other top 100 guy. And then um, it's a much more robust system than it has been in in a very, very long time. Interesting. I mean, when you talk about most improved, I mean, the first three guys on that list <laughs> weren't in the organization a year ago. You know, James Wood and, and right. Robert Hassel came over in the soda trade, and Elijah Green was, you know, one of the top picks in the draft. Um, so that's a good one. So now I have to come up with number four. Um, but we can we can talk it through. Let's hash it there out. Is, there is another team that has – Four top 100 prospects. Yeah, but that's not. You can't just rank based on that. Well, you could. You could. That wouldn't be much of a ranking. <laughs> that would be a choice. We all have a that choice. That would be a travesty. Um, uh, we gotta have. Uh, we gotta live up to the billing of this being the worst segment. In it is. Well, I'm, I'm sitting history. here. I'm that's, sitting that's here hemming. Be, that's gonna be the he- that's gonna be the headline. Um, what makes it harder is if if it's a team that we don't do the top 30 for, and it's like one of the ones that Sam Dykstra does. I don't know the depth of some of these, some of these, uh, you know, some of these uh, systems. So if I had to, I think yeah, I think the next one's the Sam Dykstra team. I think it, I might go with the Blue Jays. Ah, I was gonna go with the Mets. Okay, <laughs> so this um. is scintillating. Like, <laughs> um, I, I would I would give the Mets the edge because they yeah, have the four no, top one hundred guys, and the Blue Jays only have one. I think that's fine. Although I do think the the Blue Jays have emerging depth, so I think I would go. Yeah, Mets four, Blue Jays five. Mm. Yeah, this is where is it gets this is at? where it gets muddled. And why whenever I do radio shows and I get asked this question, I always go, I can't just rank farm systems off the top of my head if I get asked like in June when guys have moved around. Well, I, now I, you now you'll I be think, lying when you well, say that. No, I could. I just wouldn't couldn't do it well, is what I meant. But I, I think the Blue Jays <laughs> I, I'm gonna cheat since I hate this segment. I hate Jason Ratliff right now. <laughs> I'm just gonna I, I would put the Blue Jays and Yankees and maybe the Red Sox all kind of Everyone else is tied for six, no, like the five, five, no, to, it's five to well, this is already come on well, now. Okay, you fine. We can so we we're, can, we're we going can, Mets. We'll go Mets four, Blue Jays five. I go Yankees, Yankees, Yankees six, Red Sox, Red Sox seven. Sure. Okay, and then if and then I think I would go. Um, I'd go Miami, Marlins, yeah. Phillies, Braves, and you did the Phillies and Braves. So, um, yes. So you're on record. Everybody heard that. Jonathan hates the Phillies and Braves. Um, hates no. World Series teams. Um, okay, there you have well, it. Well, I mean, there there is a correlation. So the, there. the Braves are the the only team without a single top one hundred prospect in their organization, right? Right. Which again, it's not the is the right. Yes, and it, that's not the be all end all. But they've thinned their system out. Consider, I think even people within the organization understand that right now their their farm system is not very good. The Phillies. So again, I don't know the Marlins well enough. Like, but like the Phillies have some interesting guys that, like, if they take some steps forward, I think they're gonna they're gonna move up. Uh, they're kind of far away, and obviously with Andrew Painter and Mick Abel at the top, that makes them a little more interesting. Um, but I get get the sense I think the Marlins have a little more intriguing talent than the Phillies do. Well, they've got Yuri Perez, who's who's ultra intriguing, but, although, I mean, right. he counters Andrew Painter, I guess, for the Phillies. You've got yeah. Jacob Berry, who I think we were higher on our top 100 list than anybody else was. I love his hitting ability. I know other people aren't high on his exit velo, so we'll see how that one pans out. They've got your your triumvirate of, of injured pitchers who are coming back from from major surgeries in Max Meyer. and yeah. Sixto Sanchez and Jake Eater, Dax Fulton, Joe Mack, Yidi Cape. They, they've got guys. I mean, yeah, no, I, yeah. I put the Marlins ahead of the field. I, st- I stand by what what I said. See, we did it, Jim. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, now you're not you're not allowed to to uh, change this order when, when yeah. we put out the farm system rankings in in a few weeks. 
these teams have to be in this order? No. No. <laughs> Maybe if they change, we'll blame <laughs> it on a- Sam. Like Sam just voted differently and it, it changed the order. But uh, That's right. So most improved, you said you... Uh, Nationals, I think, clearly. You gave that title to the Nationals. Yes. Who had the worst farm system in baseball two years ago and now, uh, you know, I guess are top 10-ish, 10 to 15. But again, we, we, I think that we haven't lined them right. up, so I mean, it's like hard to say precisely. But, yeah. They they have some guys who, like, with tremendous upside. I mean, so, like, even like a guy with, with like Elijah Green, we don't know exactly what he's going to be uh, as a professional. And if, if his tools – turn into performance, um, then that obviously helps again, just one guy, but they have a few guys like that. that were like, I mean, James Wood had a huge breakout last year. Let's see what he does at the upper levels. Um, you know, so the, the, a lot of high upside guys there that we don't have like total certainty about what it's going to look like, uh, you know, down the road. They also have the number two overall draft pick this year, which, uh, should, should help that will that will although they're, they're not like rank, they're not loaded up they have you know they don't have anything between that and their their second round pick at number 40 right but it's not like we're ranking farm systems now based on who they're going to draft no no although that would be interesting you know give them chase dolander and then what does that do for their system yeah just thinking thinking in terms of how quickly they can kind of do a, a 180 yeah. Yeah, but then I mean, what if Kate Cavalli graduates? Like, it's hard to say. Yeah. The one thing that's certain, the only thing that's certain about farm system rankings is they're a snapshot of a particular moment in time. I mean, guys are gonna, a lot of guys will graduate off the list before we get to the draft in July. All right. Uh, anything else from any of these other lists that you guys want to touch on? Anything that stood out to you about any particular list as you were putting it together? I know, you know, we mentioned we have three of the bigger teams in terms of market size, fan base, bankroll. Well, I did the Red Sox list. And one thing that struck me as I was putting it together is, okay, the first thing you notice about with the Red Sox is, you know, like with a lot of teams, it's like their most hyped prospects. The top 100 guys are all position players. You know, Marcelo Meyer, Tristan Casas, Sedane Raffaella, Miguel Blyce. Those guys are all super talented, but I think the Red Sox might have the thinnest collection of pitching prospects in baseball. Um, you were saying that, uh, you know, I, I know we're still putting the list together and I don't know if the numbers are finalized, uh, you know, the Red Sox on, on their list, just on just sheer numbers alone, only have nine pitchers on their top 30 list. I think Jonathan, your Reds list is the only one with fewer with eight and the Orioles have nine also, at least, you know, as we're, we're putting the final touches on these lists, but there's just so much uncertainty even around the Red Sox guys too. Like Brian Mata is their best pitching prospect, but he just came back from Tommy John surgery last year and it was encouraging. You know, Brandon Walter was unbelievable in double a last year. He had like a crazy strikeout to walk ratio. I want to say it was like 60 to two off top of my head. Um, but shortly after that, he got promoted to triple a and he wound up having a bulging disc in his upper back that sidelined him in June. Um, and, and so, like, what exactly do you have coming out of him? It, it was actually 68 to 3 was his strikeout-to-walk ratio in double-A. You know, then the, you, you have guys who have upside, like Wickelman Gonzalez and Luis Perales. Those guys are, are just getting started in their careers and are so far away. So that, that was one. Right. I mean, as interesting as the Red Sox position players are, their, their pitching prospects just seem to me to be pretty thin. And I don't know why I keep coming back to this. I don't understand how an organization that, that theoretically is trying to compete at the big league level this year too didn't protect Thad Ward, who wanted to be the number one pick in the Rule 5 draft by those vastly improved nationals, when Thad Ward might have been able to help him in the big leagues this year, and they didn't even bother to protect him, and they really don't have that many pitching prospects. So Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, it'll be curious to see what Boston does for pitching, because if you look at the big league level, you got two of their five starters, Chris Sale and... And James Paxton, their projected starters, combined for a total of less than six innings last year. They're going to try to put Garrett Whitlock in their rotation. He's made nine big league starts in his career, and he's coming off a hip surgery. I don't know where the Red Sox are getting pitching from in the next couple of years. It'll be very interesting to see. Trades, I guess. You have the Yankees, too. I'm going to start calling you Big Market Jim. I have the Dodgers also. Like, yeah. Yes. It's, it's, well, um, I will just say this. You know, it's kind of funny for me 
one looking at a farm system, especially one that's going to you know, rank a little bit lower, a sign of hope or growth potentials. I don't, we need to come up with the term for this for those of us that do these lists. It's like when you're getting to those like 26 to 30 guys and it's still kind of interesting, I think that's always a good sign. And it doesn't mean that it's going to work out because they have to go out and play. But like the reason why I said the Phillies have some guys that they could become a more interesting system. I have, you know, the, the, the back ends, you know, from 23 to 30, there are three teenagers, all international signees, including Jesus Caba. And, you know, if those guys perform, then suddenly it gets a lot more interesting. Now they're really, really far away and, uh, you know, have barely played or haven't played at all. Um, but there are some guys at the back end of the Phillies list. I remember finishing up the Phillies list and be like, oh, this guy's, you know, sort of interesting. Now it's mixed in with Francisco Morales, who was designated for, you know, assignment and somewhat surprisingly wasn't claimed by anybody. But he's touched the big leagues, so it's a mix. But some of those younger upside guys make them a little more intriguing. We'll have to see what happens you know, as we move forward here. And big market Jim, um, <laughs> on, the, on the other side of the, the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry, and on the other side of the ledger in terms of pitching depth, I guess, the, the Yankees list has 17 right-handed pitchers on it, which <laughs> seems like that's been that's been the case for a while, right? They've had a, a yeah, big number of right-handers. It's interesting because the first seven players on my Yankees list are position players. And then I have, like you mentioned, there's 17 right-handers, and I threw in Brock Selvage, a lefty at number 30. So 18 of the last 23 guys on the list are pitchers. And, you know, we, we've talked about this before, where the Yankees do a really good job, I think, of identifying traits that they can then refine and they kind of create pitching prospects out of nowhere. Um, they've excelled at taking mid-round draft picks and turning them into really good pitchers. You know, we saw them trade Ken Waldachuk last year to the A's. We saw them trade Hayden Wesneski last year to the Cubs. You know, some of their best pitchers, you know, 2021 eighth round pick Will Warren, 2021 sixth round pick Richard Fitz. Um they just they they coach guys up. Sean Herman's a 14th rounder from 2021. who's super interesting. Zach Messenger's another lower round pick. Chase Hampton was a sixth rounder last year. It just goes on and on and on. And so it seems like they 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 have they they do have good position players. But even though they keep trading pitching, trading pitching, I think if I remember correctly, they traded I think seven or eight pitching prospects at the deadline last year after trading a bunch of pitchers the year before as well. And they still just have an endless supply of pitching. One of those pitchers has made a, a pretty sizable jump here, uh, the biggest jump of anyone on the Yankees list, but was not ranked uh, at this time last year and now number nine uh, on the Yankees list, Will Warren. That seems that seems like one of the bigger jumps we might see on one of these top 30 lists. Is that, does that seem right? Maybe, although he jumped. I mean, he was, I think he was already on eight. At midseason. And it was yeah. interesting because one thing the Yankees not only are good at 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 being alchemists with pitching, but they they do a good job of telling me guys to watch out for. Like coming out of the pandemic, they said I had my Yankee sources were like Ken Waldachuk, Hayden Wisneski, these guys could pop. And so I threw them on the end of the list. Last year going into the year, I didn't wind up ranking it, but they're like, Will Warren has a chance to be pretty good pretty quick. And I think at one point maybe even a midseason, we ranked him as the best pitching prospect in the system, and now he's number two. And, you know, Warren's just a prime example of this, where, you know, he, you know, had a nice career, kind of steady career at southeastern Louisiana, not a power five school by any means. You know, finished the year with double-digit strikeouts in his last three starts. He hit 98 miles an hour with his fastball, but he got to pro ball, and the Yankees actually gave him a sinker. Um, so now he uses the sinker more than the four-seamer, but it's 91 to 95, gets a ton of ground outs. And they added a slider that the Yankees are big on that, you know, whirly sweeping slider. And they, they I, again, I think they look at guys and figure out, like, we can give this guy the whirly slider. And they do it. And they did that with Warren, who now has a 84 to 88 mile an hour slider with a ton of sweep. And it's got spin rates over 3,000 RPM. And it's pretty nasty. And, you know, he's got a decent curveball and a decent change and he throws strikes. But he's just an example of they can take a guy and, you know, the middle rounds of the draft and turn him into a pretty good prospect. Which means he should keep his bags packed because he'll get traded at the deadline. Uh, I had one guy who's similar 
you know, similar to Carlos de la Cruz with the Phillies, wasn't rated last year and uh, jumped. He's in the top 10 now of the Phillies system. We saw him in the Fall League. He's six foot eight. It's a great story. Like, I hope he makes it. He, you know, he held his own in the Fall League. He can play the outfield, uh, including center field. He moves well. He's got decent instincts. He's played some first base. He was not drafted out of high school uh, in 2017 from, from George Washington High School, uh, alma mater of one Mr. Manny Ramirez. And, uh, you know, he hit his way to double A last year. Um, you know, it, it's, it's an incredible story because he signed as an undrafted free agent out of high school after playing in, in a summer league in New York. Um, uh, he hit a long home run uh, in an early spring training game in Florida. So he's, he's kind of a, a fun, big jump guy also. What, what number one overall pick, quick quiz, went to George Washington High School? Number one overall pick. Uh, was that Pedro Alvarez? No, he went to... Um, no, and he wasn't the number one overall pick, was he? No. And when he was the number two overall pick, he was at Vanderbilt. Uh, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing my presidents. I'm sorry. I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Sean Dunstan went to George Washington High School and he went to Thomas Jefferson High School. Yeah. So I'm terrible. No, uh, no. Manny Ramirez is the George Washington alum. Well, I knew that. Worst segment in podcast history. In right. Worst segment, worst quick quiz. You're just making sure that you sunk your own ship there. Yeah, we're not we're not winning any awards for this podcast. I'm sorry. I think it's fantastic. Let's end this. Let's end this segment because we we want to talk. To, I think that's a good idea. We want to talk to Drew Jones anyway. Whoa. Well, you know what though? I, I I'm I'm doing a little baseball referencing. Do you know who apparently went to George Washington High School? Hall of Famer. No. Uh, Rod Carew. I did not know that. But he but he did he he didn't play baseball there. Is that right? Mm, I can't. I can't help you with that one off the top. <laughs> I, I want to say that's. I want to say that's true. All right, moving right along. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to talk to Drew Jones, the D-backs number three prospect, which maybe sounds a little underwhelming, but he's one of the top fifteen prospects in baseball overall. That D-back system has some high-end talent there. Uh, Jonathan's going to talk to him. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis, Jason Raffith, myself, Jonathan Mayo. I'm here in Arizona running around to different camps. And I recently had the chance to talk to last year's number two overall draft pick, Drew Jones. As Jason mentioned, the number three prospect in a stacked Diamondbacks system. I had a chance to talk to him about how his shoulder was doing after he got hurt in his first workout after signing, being in spring training camp and his relationship with fellow 2022 draftees like Jackson Holiday and Tamar Johnson. All right, Drew, I guess, you know, the first question everyone probably has for you right now is, how's the shoulder feeling? Uh, it's feeling good. Uh, getting back to almost 100%. Uh, I think I started playing on the 14th. I think it's our first, and my first day probably. So getting back to full health. Were you able to breathe a little? I'm sure you won't really breathe a sigh of relief until you're out there actually playing in games. But knowing that that was coming, I would imagine during the offseason, you're like, well, am I going to start in time? Or And even if you're maybe a little bit slowed out of the gate just because of the timeline, knowing that you're actually going to get to play sooner rather than later, that make you breathe a little easier? Yeah, I mean, you're always itching out there to uh, get ready to play. So um, now it's just kind of just making sure I'm staying healthy and make sure there's no tweaks or anything like that and just making sure to that I will start on time. One of the things I was talking to, to Josh Barfield, the farm director, 
is that unfortunately they've gone through this before. You know, Corbin Carroll, uh, Jordan Lawler, like guys who've had shoulder injuries. Like it's kind of a weird thing that helped them know like all right this is what it looks like did that help you like that they have a timeline knowing like well this is kind of what you can expect and look at how these guys have come out the other end uh yeah that was kind of just my motivation throughout the entire like process um i mean obviously they've done it twice with Lawler and Corbin uh so being able to just follow that same exact path almost for the most part and just being able to see what they accomplished in 2022 and that kind of gives me hope for this coming up season how frustrating was all that for you? Because uh, like I, I know you love to go out and play, and then you sign, and it's just like right out of the gate, you you know, you hurt yourself uh, before you got to do a thing. Yeah, um, I mean, it sucks. Obviously, um, I wasn't too frustrated. I feel like I kind of needed a break from baseball just to be able to kind of like step back and really like process everything that's like happened over the past like ten months or so. And um, being able to have the time off kind of helps a little bit. Um, makes it makes it so your body's like fully healthy for the next coming season um it does kind of suck i mean obviously you're out there you want to come in here you come in here you want to play every day but um and stuff like this happens so just being able to take it with a grain of salt and just keep moving forward you say that as someone who clearly has been around the game a lot you know and people probably bring that up all the time and i'm not we're not gonna you know dive too deep into you know your dad and things like that but is that something that you could lean on, like going through an injury? Like, you know that this is just part of the game when maybe some other high school kid just getting started out might have taken it a little bit harder. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's going to happen. Uh, hopefully not as, as bad as uh, getting surgery or anything like that. But you're going to have tweaks and injuries and stuff like that and just being able to take time away from the game and just be able to just stay healthy and continue to learn about your body and take it and just process it. It helps a lot just being able to like be out here at all it means a lot so what did you what did you do with that time that you got to step away from 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 baseball i just had to step back and reflect and really just take my like take my time with the rehab and stuff like that just making sure my shoulder's healthy um nothing too crazy i didn't really do much because obviously just keeping my shoulder healthy was the most important thing so just being out here and just exploring out here pretty much so you were you were in Arizona the whole time? Yeah, was, there are worse places to yeah, be. Yeah, there are worse places to be. Yeah, the weather was great out here the entire time I was rehabbing. So just being able to be out here meant a lot. And for me, this facility is the best one I've ever been to. Like the Folly, also I'm here every year. So I look forward to, to coming here. You haven't seen all of them yet, but do you realize like what a special place this is? Yeah, no, it's definitely one of the nicest facilities in Arizona, if not of all the major league facilities. And I mean, being able to use all all this all the time just is, is great. It's something that not a lot of people get to have. What does it mean to you, even though you're you're still sort of ramping up to the point of playing, but just to, to come to your first spring training? I mean, this is what you put all that work in towards, I'm sure, again, once the, the lights are on and you're playing for real it'll, it'll be a, a different level but just to after having that time off to to be here to be around all the players and to 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 get going is it is it what you expected is there anything been surprising yeah it's kind of hectic uh, there's a lot of guys here right now but um i mean it's just being able to connect with a bunch of different guys like because mainly you only are with your draft class for the first year and especially since like i heard i wasn't really around a lot of the guys so being able to be around the guys and hit with everybody and do defense with everybody it's just something else it's one of those things that not a lot of people get to experience again so um just take it with a grain of salt and just enjoy every moment have you had a chance like during that reflection time just thinking about the whole draft process you know your name was up at the top of rankings, boards, things like that, and just the way things sort of played out. Obviously, you didn't have to wait too long to, to hear your name called, but have you had a chance to step back and sort of think about how all that went down? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, being hurt and just, like, kind of, like, sitting there just, like, in your sling, just, like, watching, like, videos and stuff like that from the past season. Um, I mean, it's just a lot of fun to be able to be in that spotlight and have that opportunity at all. I mean, I'm blessed to be able to be where I was when I got drafted and all that. So it was just, I mean, obviously you reflect on it, but I mean, I'm just going to try to move on from that and just keep going forward. I think, uh, you know, it's it's inevitable that guys who go one, two, especially when there's really very little separating them in terms of talent, there are going to be some comparisons. Even though you and Jackson don't play the same position, you're in different leagues, you know, di you know different tool sets in some regards. Is that something that you 
look forward to, you know, in terms of not necessarily being like, well, he went three for four, I better go three for four, but just sort of keeping tabs on where each other are and, and you're going through the process together. Yeah, mainly, I mean, the only thing like really keeping tabs on is to be like just asking him like how he's feeling, like how he's doing and stuff like that. I'm not really worried about the competition or whatever. Like if he goes three for four, I should go three for four. Or if he hits two homers in one day, I should hit two homers in one day. I mean, obviously we play, we have two different styles of play in my opinion, because he's a left-handed hitter, I'm a right-handed hitter, infielder, outfielder, all that stuff. It's two different ways of playing. It's two different types of people. So just being able to just like, be friends with him and not really think about all the other stuff that comes with it. I don't think about like all the competition or anything like that. Just being friends with him and being like one of those guys that he can come and talk to and I'd be able to talk to him. I mean, in a lot of ways, there are some similarities, both in terms of the sort of the hype that comes with being a, a top prospect, a top draft guy, being the son of a big leaguer and the expectations that, that comes with it. Is that the kind of thing that you would talk to or is it sort of just like, Hey, where you at? How's it going? Yeah, what city you in? That sort of thing. Like, uh, like, hey, how you doing? Like, how you doing? Like, what's going on, man? Like, uh, good, like, good stuff. Like, you've been doing, like, because obviously he had a good, he had a good after he got drafted, and now he's in major league camp at spring training, which is awesome. Like, that's something not a lot of people get on their first year, and um, him being able to do that—that's incredible. Like, I'm, I'm, I admire what he's doing right now because obviously I don't get the opportunity, but. Um, I mean, it's just like something like, I mean, I'm obviously going to be friends with him. It's not really no competition or anything like that. I think sometimes we forget that you're, you know, like a teenager, right? And yeah. you're a kid and he's a buddy, yeah. right? So, like, that that's that's cool. It doesn't have to be a, you know, uh, it, we get ahead of ourselves. And I think about, like, Adley Rushman and, and Bobby Witt yeah. and obviously different ages and things like that. But right. I think people are always going to be like, all right, well, how's that going to play out? Right. Um, you forget. You guys are the same age and you're going through the same thing. It would probably be good to have someone who would be like, when you get to game 120, yeah. and you're like, dude, how's your body doing? Yeah, like, and they're like, man, like this first season where you played that many games in a row, you know? So, um, I mean, obviously, yeah, we're both 19. So just being able to be friends with that guy, like being able to be friends with somebody like that, that means a lot. What about the other guys in the draft class? I think there, there's often a camaraderie. You did the showcase circuit together. I mean, I think of a guy like Tamar. You guys were in Georgia together. Is he another guy that can be that kind of yeah, resource? Yeah, I mean, and... I wouldn't say he's he's definitely not on the same level as Jackson. He's definitely like tomorrow's more like a brother to me, uh, being out like because we grew up in the same area or kind of the same area. But being able like from 14 all the way to 18, like being able to be text him all the time and just be friends with him and stuff like that. And that's something different than obviously holiday. There's more like tight knit with tomorrow, I would say. But yeah, he's one of those guys I can just text about anything. But he seems like the kind of guy that's pretty easy to get along with. Yeah. We had him on our podcast yeah. a while ago, and he, he, he was great. Yeah, um, it's how he got a little banged up. It's uh, it's, yeah. too, it's it's too bad, but I'm sure he'll be back at it yeah. soon enough. You're just getting started, but you have a sense of what it takes, like to to get to where you're trying to go. Like, what are some of the things? Again, probably with all this downtime, if you got more time to think about. It, like, all right, I know I need to do this to really get myself ready for this for what it's a slog no matter how talented you are right um i mean main, mainly just being able to get back into playing every day you know because you take eight or nine months off from playing like my last game i think was may 25th or something like that so being able to get back into game shape and being able to hang with these guys you know it's tough but when you're a little bit behind but just mainly like catching up and just making sure I'm healthy that's all that matters if I'm healthy then I'll be able to do anything on the field so what are you going to do that first game when you're in the lineup I mean that's that's going to be a big thing it's your pro debut you know and coming off of this early adversity like have you thought ahead a little bit in terms of like how you're going to try to Wherever, wherever it happens, like, how are you going to take that in? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's just, it's going to be a different experience, like, a whole completely different experience. It'll be, it'll still be spring training, hopefully, where it'll be my first game. But, um, I mean, just taking it all in, just being able to be like, man, like, I really made it all the way here. And especially going through injury in your first season and not being able to even suit up at all. Like, uh, it's going to be completely different. I mean, I'm just ready and I'm excited to do it. You know, we've talked about, you know, tomorrow's an infield. We talked about Jackson. Like, I know that you could play shortstop if you needed to. Right? <laughs> I've heard I've heard scouts talk about it. Like, have you ever been like, you know, I could, I could play in the dirt if you need me? Um, no, not definitely not here. Mainly just sticking to outfield and just trying to get healthy. But, I mean, if anything were to happen, then that, that would be a possibility. I mean, I would be all for it. Yeah, I think you're pretty good out in center field, so yeah. maybe stick yeah, out I'm there. I'm just going to stay out there for now for sure. All right, Drew, thanks very much. Yeah.
All right. Thanks very much to Drew Jones for joining us here. And when we return from this break, we are going to look at some of the best hitting prospects in baseball and also a sneak peek at some of the best power prospects in the game. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. Going to talk about some of the best pure hitting prospects in baseball now. Story up on MLB.com slash pipeline in which we identify the top hitting prospect for each team. Uh, We've kind of started into our series of weekly stories where we will look at the prospect from each team who has the best power, hitting tool, fastball, breaking ball, glove, is that it? Speed? Mm-hmm. So a series of the best tools. Would you say that is the strongest correlation between overall grade and overall future projected success? Is it most closely related to the hit tool? I like the way, Jim, I think you put it, is sort of that the guys that are on this list are the ones we have probably the most confidence will be big leaguers. Forgive me if I'm paraphrasing you wrong. No, 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 no. I, that, that's why I, I basically, yeah. yeah, I basically said that like, the most important tool is hitting ability because if you can't hit, you're not going to probably be a regular. And if right. you can't hit a high level, you're not going to be a star. And I didn't put this part in, but like if you can hit, even if you can't do much else, those guys, you know, especially in today's era where I think it's harder to hit than it's ever been with what, with, you know, all the crazy pitches guys have now, if you can consistently hit, you're going to find a role in the big leagues. Yeah, I think that's right. I and mean, then keep in mind that, you know, when we put our like our, our hit tool grades, it's not just because a guy can make contact, right? If, if, if we've, we all have these guys in, in the systems we do who make a ton of contact but lack strength, it doesn't mean you have to be a home run hitter, but you have to be able to impact the ball, and that figures into the hit tool as well, which then correlates into being able to handle an everyday role in, in the big leagues. And so that's why I think there's a little more, uh, a little more certainty or confidence that the 30 guys on this list are guys who are or have a chance to be big league regulars to, you know, all-star caliber players. Pipeline podcast pop quiz. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. How many of the hitters that were identified as the best in their system are top 100 prospects? Well, I put that in my interest. So I know. That oh, that. well, that's. <laughs> so we'll let Jonathan guess. Hmm. I feel like it's a lot of them. That was a very earnest hmm. Also. Yeah, right? I'm going to say... 60 earnest on the hum. A 60 earnest. Take it. Uh, I'm going to say 20. You're a little bit low. Okay. 22 it is. Oh, that's not bad, though. No, I, I, yeah, I, I right said just a little bit. Nobody nobody ridiculed you. I, I don't know. I, you know. I'm my own worst critic, so I'm, I'm trying to pump myself up. I'm working on my self-worth, so... <laughs> All right. We, we're going to, uh, this week's story is on the top power hitting prospects in each organization. So I was curious, wanted to ask you guys whether we will see any names on that list that were on this list of each team's best pure hitting prospect. The answer is yes. It's going to shock a lot of people to find out that our number one overall prospect will be the choice for both in Gunnar Henderson, 60 hit. 65 power you know he's still just figuring it out like he he doesn't turn 22 until the end of june and he's gonna do it at the big league level took huge step forwards last year in terms of the the hit tool the approach at the plate he made adjustments he understood what he needed to do to get to where he is right now there's a reason why you know he's the front runner for american league rookie of the year and he's going to be playing every day in that orioles lineup on a team that 
is hoping to compete. And there is tremendous bat speed. There's leverage, all the things uh, that point to being able to hit for average and power. The other two guys, you know, like you said, Jonathan, you know, big shock that the number one prospect in baseball excels at both. But the other two guys who are, are going to be on both in both stories as the best hitter and best power prospect in their organizations, I think are a little bit more surprising. I, I do the Giants list. Most of their hitters in their system stand out for their power hitting ability and their aggressiveness as opposed to their bat on ball skills. So I wouldn't necessarily have thought that it would come from the Giants, but Marco Luciano, who's got as much power potential as probably just about any middle, middle infielder who's going to be in the minors this year, is also the best hitter in the Giants organization. So that one surprised me a little bit. And then you know, an organization that, that Sam Dykstra covers, that, that you and I don't, that doesn't necessarily have a lot of depth in hitting prospects that would be the Tigers. Jace Young, who who's the number 12 overall pick in last year's draft, is going to rank number one uh, in both categories. Although it's interesting. I think you could almost make a case in the Tigers organization that you could rank Cole Keith number one in both organizations. But those those are the three. And then in both organizations, both categories, both categories. I'm struggling. It's uh, you, you throw me off with the uh, ranking the farm systems. And I was <laughs> still, say, still hasn't recovered from that. I, I'm never not going to recover. And that was good. But I was, I was going to tie it all together when before I misspoke. I, I similarly have not done my homework and was unprepared for this pop quiz. I, also, I have not finalized the Astros grade. So I cannot definitively tell you. I know that Yiner Diaz is the best hitter in the Astros organization. He may be the best power hitter, but I haven't sorted through all that to give you a 100% answer that that is who will be in the best power hitting story. So so the over-under is three and a half. Three and a half. Cliffhanger. If, if, if Diaz hits the weights in the next couple of days before the story comes out, then he can put himself <laughs> over the top. I'm going to have to get, call the Astros and see what he's benching in the weight room. Cliff, it's a cliffhanger. People are going to have to wait and find out. I, I just want to throw in one other guy in the Pirates uh, organization that I do their list. Tamar Johnson, clearly their best hitter. And we've talked a lot about his 70 hit grade from last year's high school class, one of the best high school hitter scouts I've seen in a very, very long time. So he was the clear choice for hit tool. In terms of grades, he and Henry Davis have the same 60 grade, but Davis gets the edge and he'll be he'll be the 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 choice in the in the story and in the breakdown for the, the Pirates top 30. But that one's pretty close. So I just wanted to give a an honorable mention to Tamar Johnson. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna further anger Jim. Uh oh. Here we go. Give me a sleeper. Give me a sleeper pick uh, from your from the best pure hitting prospects. List. I think the title of this is going to be Jim is not happy. That's going to be the. Uh, no, no, I, I'm I'm good. I'm good with best pure. Uh, like, like, how are we defining sleeper? <laughs> really? You're the one who suggested that we do this. So how how did what did you have in mind? Uh, what did you have in mind when you said that we should identify the sleeper prospect? Well, typically we do non top 100 prospect. I, but, I think uh, that's fine. I. I've been banging the table. All right, so you have eight to choose from. Yeah, but see, I'm not going to go. See, it's not fair to go with the Hunter Diaz because I thought he should have been a top 100 prospect. So I'm going to go. Can. He's still a sleeper. Hey, He's not. Oh, are, you hint, are you hinting at our mailbag question here? No, no. Okay. I'm not. Right. No. Um, no, and that's not even either of the answers for the mailbag yeah, question, correct. which, which sounds, we know. Sounds like, uh, sounds like you're, uh, no. you got an axe to grind there, though. No, he, he, brought, he brought all his axes with him today. That's right. That's right. And we have we have breaking Rangers trade news, by the way. Although it's uh, New York Rangers just acquired Patrick Kane while we've been recording this. But, uh, um, now my my sleeper, I'm going to go off the go off the board. I'm not going to go with Yonder Diaz. He's fully awake, even if others don't recognize it. I'm going to go with Will Brennan of the Guardians, who is kind of on that Stephen Kwan path, where played in college at K State, Kansas State. He was a two way guy. And he didn't really stand out a lot. I mean, he. The best thing he did was he put the bat on the ball. He had a career 5% strikeout rate. He led NCAA Division One and a half bats per strikeout in his draft year, but it wasn't a lot of power. You know, the Guardians made him an eighth-round pick. They've helped him develop a little bit more pop, but just his his bat-to-ball skills have shown through in pro ball. He led the minors in hits last year. He was second in doubles. He's a career 296 hitter as a pro in the minors. Brief stint in Cleveland last year. He hit 357. He can run a little bit. You know, I, I still don't know if I think he's more – good fourth outfielder compared to regular on a contender. I do think he's a better hitter than Miles Straw. Um, and maybe they put Quan in center and Will Brennan plays a corner. 
but I think we're going to see him in the big leagues. And talking about, you know, we're talking about the Yankees and pitchers. You talk about hitters, and Jonathan, I think the Guardians got credit for doing the best job of developing hitters from anybody when you did your executive survey. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they have a lot of hitters who are kind of the same thing, where it's hit over power guys, but they collect those guys and they get a lot of them to the big leagues. And, well, Brennan already got a cup of coffee last year, and I think he's going to have a more significant role this year. Jonathan, do you have? I do. I do. Um, I, I know. I know somebody on this list that you are into right now, and I, and I wonder if he's he's not a non top one hundred guy. So I don't know if that rules. Him I'm not gonna. No, I'm I'm not gonna pick Zach Neto. Neto if, that, if that's what you're okay. gonna say. Um, although it, it's not gonna surprise me if he moves way up the list or actually hits his way to the big leagues this season. But that's not who I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick how you leave the Phillies because I. I to sort of think of non-top 100 guys to be a little more of a sleeper. And I remember a year ago in spring training being in Philly's camp and, and talking to Philly's farm director, Preston Mattingly, and he could not stop talking about how you Lee, not only just the overall hit tool, but like this is one of these guys who's like, he loves to hit, you know, in the cages. You had a brief debut in 2022 and hit well then it instructs he hit well this has a really really good idea of what he's doing uh you know he signed uh back in june of 2021 for five hundred seventy thousand dollars. so he's still just getting started out uh last year he actually made it up to high a ball at a very young age hit for average really really good on base skills he doesn't strike out he draws a lot of walks he's gonna keep hitting. And I think there's going to be more, I don't know that he's ever like a big home run guy, but I think he's the kind of guy who could, you know, hit over 300 with 15 homers a year and play second base every day in the big leagues. Uh, uh, you know, he's a couple years away, but that's my guy. All right. Uh, so Jim, I asked if you were hinting at uh, our mailbag question because our mailbag question this week uh, pits the two of you against each other it comes from at 2000s sports. I tweet about the Pirates and WVU uh, says, which top 100 prospect do you, this was directed to Jonathan, which top 100 prospect do you and Jim Callis MLB differ the most on? And I thought maybe when you said, I thought Andrew Diaz should be a top 100 prospect. Well, I think the way we sort of looked at this or which guys who are on the top 100, did we differ the most on? Well, or yeah, well, yeah, that is, the I question, didn't, I didn't I necessarily even look at it quite that way, John. I, I, I guess. Well, that's how it's um, ended up. Well, I guess it says yeah. it. Well, I guess it's worded. So yes. there you go. So we can't. Yes. So I, not, I, does not I'm not qualify. reading. I'm not doing my homework. Eh, this is terrible. It's, so, it's, it's hard to hear the question over the, the grinding of the axes. I'm sharpening them right now. Yes. So. Anyway. All right. So who is it? Well, we, we, we tried to look and we wanted to kind of try to look at this in both directions, right? Who was I higher on than Jim and who was Jim higher on uh, than I was? And I think in terms of who I was higher on, we settled on a couple of guys. One is Robert Hassel, uh, who we mentioned already on today's podcast because he's part of that, the, the national system coming over in the Juan Soto trade. And, um, Jim, I, you know, I, I think it was an astute observation that there's a, some familiarity bias in that I saw Robert Hassel in high school in the PDP League, and he was the best hitter there. He actually did a lot of things very, very well. And, and, and you know, sometimes you continue to find the opinions that agree with yours. And, and I, I, you know, I think he's really going to hit. Uh, I think the power will come eventually. And, you know, and he moves well in the outfield. The question, I guess, is with the power, right? And and Jim, I think from your vantage point, you, you're a little afraid that he you know, doesn't have the power for right field and maybe not the skills for center field. Yeah, I mean, I it's, when I was covering him, because Tennessee, he's a Tennessee high school kid, and he's one of my draft guys. And it's funny, too, because like PDP League <laughs> went on for a long time that first year, Jonathan. Yeah. So we both spent many days at the PDP League and got entirely different pr- impressions of guys. Like I saw Austin Kendrick Rake. I saw Ed Howard do nothing, and I think Ed Howard hit better at the end of the mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of the deal. Um, and I saw Robert Hassel was fine; he, he didn't, you know, blow me away when I was there. <clears throat> but when I was, we were doing the draft stuff, and I, and I was talking to my the scouts who covered him a lot in Tennessee, 
it was kind of eye the beholder. Like the pure hitting ability was there. You know, and he was a two-way athlete, and that was interesting. But there were guys who questioned how much power he was ultimately going to have um, and how much – and whether he ran well enough to play center field. Um, he does have good instincts. You know, you know again, I'm not, I'm not claimed by any means. He's fully developed last year at age 20. But he played a full season. He hit 11 home runs. He slugged 407. You know, for a guy who's known as Bobby Barrels, he hit 273, which isn't exactly, you know, tearing the cover off the ball. Uh, he struck out twice as much as he walked. So I, I respect him. I, I just, to, to, he, to me, personally, if it was just my list, I'd have him in like the bottom third of the top 100. Mm-hmm. And I've lost track of where he is. I, I know we have him a lot higher than that. So, right. But, but I, I see, like you said, John, I see both points of view on that one. I just, I've had in my head going back to, I guess it was what, 2020, <laughs> that he might be a tweener. And I still think he might be a tweener. And I, I guess that's just, that's stuck in, in, in my head. Yeah, we'll see what happens. The other guy was Drew Romo. We don't have to sort of break him down. But who was the guy, Jim, the the other way around that you were much higher on than I than I was? That was Bo Naylor. And, and I, I will admit, he's kind of a difficult guy to figure out because you know, he comes out of the draft and he's, you know, in 2018, he's a Canadian high school kid. You know, he and his brother Josh, the only Canadians brothers ever to both go in the first round. And when the Guardians took him, he, at the time, it, you know, it was like, okay, this guy's one of the best high school bats in the entire class. You know, some people thought he might be the best hitter in the high school class. And, you know, where are you going to play him? You know, like he caught some as an amateur. That seemed like it needed a lot of work and could detract from his bat. Or do you just put him at third base and let the bat play? Etc. So then, for for the first couple of years in Naylor's career, his development was not what you'd think at all. Like he 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 got to Double A in, in 2021. He hit 189. That never really got going. But his defense was much better than expected. And then last year, he kind of you know, essentially, you know, we had him in, in an interview. Tried stop trying to do too much. We we talked to him with the rookie career development program. Stopped trying to do too much at the plate and stopped overthinking things. And he hit 260 last year. He hit 20 homers. He stole 20 bases. He drew 80 walks. He got to the big leagues. So I guess I'm bullish on his bat, but I can also see where it's easy to say, look, this guy's a career 239 hitter in the big leagues. I'm not fully convinced. So I I don't even – I fault you for Robert Hassel, Jonathan, and I fault you for Yiner Diaz. I do not fault you for Bo Naylor. So, so a lot of uh, catchers that we're talking about, even Drew Romo, like it's a question of how much he's going to hit. So, but uh, yeah, and listen, we have different opinions, and the end result is us putting our thoughts together and getting feedback on it from people in the industry whose job it is to to determine it. So, I don't think any of us think we're completely infallible in terms of our our opinions are where we rank guys individually. Thanks, 2000 Sports, for that question. Anytime we can pit Jim and Jonathan against each other, we like that. Thanks to Drew Jones for joining us. And thanks to all of you for suffering through this, the worst episode in the history of the MLB Pipeline <laughs> podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode if you're enjoying the show or if you think it's absolutely terrible. Or if you have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.